Hey folks, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grow Farm. We are thrilled to have you joining us as we embark on a journey following the life of Christ this year. You can follow along with us in person or online during our Sunday services at 9 and 11, 15 a.m., or you can catch up or revisit our messages right here through our Sermons Podcast and also on YouTube. If you are looking for more information about Christchurch or you would like to connect with one of our pastors or ministry leaders, you can reach us on our website, ccgf.org. You can also join us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. Good morning. As Pastor Barry mentioned, our middle school students, high school students, and college and career group uh, is at Laurelville this weekend. I was there visiting with them yesterday. It's awesome. There's great things happening, so you can rejoice in that. And, and let's also join in a moment here in praying for them as they finish up their, their trip. They'll be leaving at around 11 o'clock, and so they're having a time of worship and just getting packed up and all those things. Let's pray for them. The other thing I want to draw your attention to is the upcoming Lenten series called Life of Christ, the Lamb. Really excited about this, of course, and you can find these cards that tell you everything about what's going to be happening on Sundays and Wednesdays. We've mentioned the journal we're going to have here for you. We should have those next week. You can pick those up. We're excited about that. Um, everything that you need to know is here. We would encourage you to do this. Register for your Wednesday night participation in a group. Go online. It's on this card. You'll find the information. I believe it's in our Connect cards also. But please take a moment to do that this week. We want to have a full crowd when it comes to our Lenten series this year on Wednesdays and Sundays. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we do thank you for your presence with us here today. What a wonderful expression of your presence through the singing of your people and the music. We crown you with many crowns, Lord. We say how great you are, God. Thank you, Lord. We know, Lord, that your presence stretches beyond even this sanctuary. We know that you're present with our young people in Laurelville, and we pray for them, God. We pray that, that the message of the gospel would be cemented in their hearts and their minds, that they'd be inspired to follow Jesus in a new way as a result of this weekend retreat. We pray, God, that your, your presence would touch us right now. I ask specifically, God, as we look at what can be a complex passage to understand, that you would bring conviction to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We give this time to you now, God. Teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So there was a church in the 1960s that, that underwent a significant challenge. This was during the civil rights movement era. And in these days, there was a white southern congregation. And one day, a, a group of racially mixed college students uh, decided to show up for worship at this church. The students were greeted and told that they were not welcome to worship there. This became national headline news. All the major networks in that time and at that, uh, in those days. Well, in the aftermath of this, the, the elders of that congregation gathered and they reconsidered their decision and they announced that all were welcome to worship with them. However, there was a significant segment of that congregation that didn't like that decision. 
And so they broke off. They broke off and they formed a whole new church where they actually specified in their bylaws that they were a church for whites only. It's an interesting story, isn't it? It's a true story. And, and there's a lot that can be said about that particular story. Certainly points about racism. But I want to hone in on something different, another point. And the point I want to hone in is this. I'll start with this question. Where did the conviction that blacks weren't welcome in the church for worship, where'd that come from? I mean, certainly not New Testament Christianity. Where would that come from? You know, the people there wanted a church that fit their ideas, their religious system. Jesus addresses this kind of thing. Did it with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. And he said, you teach human traditions as if they were the word of God. You equate your ways, your system, with God's ways. That's what seems to be happening here. That's what I'll hone in on. And we have a tendency, this is a tendency of, of humans. We have a tendency to make our own rules and then to treat them like they're God's rules. Maybe some of you have experienced this in the church, in places of worship where you've been. Maybe you yourself have, have been prone to this kind of thinking. You know, I... I I find that, that we want to fit God often into our religious systems, the things that we create. And it, and it made me wonder this week, I wonder which religious systems we have unknowingly constructed in the church in America. Specifically, I wonder about this. What religious systems have we unknowingly constructed even at Christ Church? So I pray for conviction for us. I wonder which religious systems have, have been built and exist in your thinking and in my thinking. These are big questions, and this is a, a complex narrative, a difficult passage, but the good news is this. Jesus addresses this question. He addresses head-on, really, the question of what do we do when we find ourselves clinging to religious systems of our own construction. Let's go back to this text. You've heard our brother Tim read this already, but of course we like to dig in even deeper than that. So we're in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. We're considering to consider the way. We're continuing to consider the way of Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus. I think we come to an important point in our sermon series today as we consider this big question about what do we do with our tendency to create religious systems, an external faith, if you will, of our own? Let's dig in. I'm going to begin with verse 14 in Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. Then John's disciples came and asked him, asked Jesus, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Okay, so Jesus is asked, why his followers don't fast. They, by the way, were feasting, but not fasting. You know, fasting was something particular in these times that was observed in times of mourning. If one was mourning death, they would fast. If one was mourning over sin as a way of repentance, they would fast. 
Fasting was something that was done when things were not going your way and you wanted them to change. You would fast in these days. So Jesus is questioned, why are his followers feasting and not fasting? You know, Jesus was asked questions like this all the time. He was asked, why don't you keep away from the tax collectors and the sinners? He was asked that question. Jesus was asked, why don't you observe the Sabbath like us? The religious leaders would come and ask him that question. Jesus would ask, why don't you abstain from feasting, eating and drinking? He did this. He was accused of it. Why don't you fill in the blank? Jesus didn't fit in their ways. I want to point your attention to something. Did you notice who asked this question? This question was asked by the followers of John the Baptist. You know, the the Pharisees are invoked here. We see their name, the religious leaders. But actually, it's John the Baptist's disciples that are posing the question. In other words, the good guys, not the bad guys, right? The bad guys of the New Testament seem to be the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, that religious sect. Often we find them in opposition to Jesus. But now here we have John the Baptist, clearly considered to be one of the good guys, and his followers are coming to Jesus and posing this question. And I think this reminds us of something very important. You don't have to be on the, quote, wrong team to slip into the trap of constructing your own religious system. It doesn't just happen to people who aren't friendly to Jesus. It doesn't just happen to people who aren't following Jesus. It happens in churches. It happens in homes. It happens in our personal lives. This is why we have to examine ourselves. You know, the the human heart veers towards a preoccupation with external faith. That's what the human heart veers towards. Thinking of Christianity as a series of do's and don'ts. I used to think that way. A preoccupation with obeying rules. And in the process of doing that, we focus on the rules and forsake a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So here we have it. The table is set. This question's been asked. Jesus, why don't you fit into the religious system? Jesus, why don't you do it like we do it? What's going on here? Well, Jesus has a response. Let's look in verse 15. Jesus answered, how can the guest of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they will fast. Let's let's stop there again, verse 15. So he's been posed this question, hey, why don't you fast? Why aren't you fitting into the religious ways, the religious system that we know? And, And Jesus says this, he says, you don't fast at a wedding. You feast, right? We all like to go to weddings. And weddings aren't a time when we don't eat, we eat, we engage, we celebrate. Jesus' response here implies that his presence with them is a cause for great celebration. He is present and he is announcing the good news of the kingdom of God to the people. He's extending forgiveness and salvation to the people. This is not a time for mourning, Jesus says. Now, when he is arrested and he's crucified, then there will be a time of mourning and fasting. That's what he says. Jesus is saying something new is happening. 
You can't fast in this new situation. It's too happy. It's too exhilarating. God is in their midst. That's what he's saying to them. There's no fasting. This is a great feast. This is a time of celebration because Jesus has come. By the way, there's a whole sermon there on the joy of being a Christian, the joy of following Christ. I wish we had time to get into it, but it's all right there. It should be a joyous thing for us because Christ has come. That's how he answers their question. And and I really, really am taken by this. Jesus here calls himself, refers to himself as the bridegroom, the bridegroom. What a gracious way, What what a tender way of Jesus describing himself. I want you to think about this for a moment. Think about the bridegroom and what the bridegroom is to the bride. You know, I've had an opportunity to officiate many weddings and I'll stand at the, the foot of the altar and I'll stand with the groom to my left and the bride comes down the aisle and I always not only look at the bride, but I always want to glance. Do you do this? I always want to glance at the groom and see the emotion on the groom's face as he watches his bride emerge through the doors in glowing white. It's a great part of the wedding. I love that part of the wedding. And often, you'll see the groom get emotional, overwhelmed in the moment as he considers what's taking place. Don't you love that picture? Jesus here is calling himself the bridegroom. Jesus is the groom to every soul. Listen to this. Jesus is the groom, how personal, to every soul who believes in him. Do you hear that? This is a personal thing. This isn't cold religion. He loves them with a deep and everlasting love, like the best of grooms. He supplies all their daily need. Jesus sympathizes with them in all their troubles. He bears with them in sickness and health and their infirmities. He doesn't reject them because of their weaknesses. He's a good groom. He's a good husband. He pays all their debts to God in a spiritual sense. He regards them as a part of himself. Jesus is the bridegroom. This is the privilege of the one who trusts in Christ. You're connected to the bridegroom. Imagine this. God joins us sinful people to the one perfect, precious husband with a capital H. This is what God has done. You know, I want to ask you a question. Have you joined yourself to the bridegroom? Have you? Have you found this joy? Have you discovered a relationship, a personal one with this Jesus? Because those who want to come to him with religious systems, he says, listen, no, I've come as a bridegroom. I've come in a personal way, an intimate way, and my desire is to be joined to you. How do you join yourself to the bridegroom? Not through rules, not through regulations, not through law, no, through relationship. This was the turning point of my personal life. It's been the turning point of many of you, your personal life. When you come to know Jesus personally, Jesus interrupted my religion and invited me into a relationship. Has he done that for you? He desires to do that for you. The bridegroom has come. I love, Jesus calls himself the bridegroom. How personal, how beautiful, 
I pray that rests in your soul and it speaks to you in a way that's far deeper than anything I could say. Jesus is the bridegroom. And so Jesus says, hey, look, the reason we don't fast is because I'm here. It's time to feast. The good news is that God has become personal and he wants to join himself to you. And so we feast. But then he goes on and he continues his answer with two little illustrations. Let's look at this. They've asked him this question. Why don't you do it like we do it, Jesus? Why don't you fit in to our religious system? He's given him an answer and he continues on now in verse 16 of Matthew 9. And Jesus says this. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Okay, so let's, let's break this down. Okay, first of all, there's this part about patching garments. And, and the idea is this, you never patch an old garment with new cloth. Why? Because the new cloth will shrink when it's washed and, and the old garment would be ripped worse than before. Okay, that, that's the picture there that he's talking about. And then he gives a second illustration that's really similar to the first, and it's about wine and wineskins. And the idea is that you never put new wine into old wineskins. Let me explain a little bit here. I wanted to dig into this personally this week and just learn a little more about ancient winemaking. So just bear with me. I'll, I'll be just a moment here, okay? Uh, wine was made, of course, treading barefoot in a wine press on grapes. That's how the wine was produced. And the juice would flow through a channel into a wine vat. And, and the wine vat was used for collecting and beginning the process of fermentation in that container. Well, after that first round of fermentation, the wine would be strained, and then it was poured into jars, large jars, that were lined with animal skins for further fermentation. These are the wine skins we're talking about. Now, these wine skins, I have a picture of them here for you. These wine skins were, were made of, of whole tanned goat skins. Can you see the goat skin kind of thing there going on? Those are ancient wine skins, huge, very large. And, and carbon dioxide would be generated by the fermentation, and that stretches the wine skin to its limit till it's about to burst. So much so that the skin's ability to contract and stretch again has been lost. That's why you can't reuse an old wineskin. It's been stretched already. And if you put more wine in, it'll burst and everything will run out, as Jesus says in his little illustration. So you have these two illustrations, and I think the question is, what's the point, right? What's the point? What's this mean? Well, I'm gonna give you two answers, okay? The first point is this. The old ways are incompatible with the new ways, Jesus is saying, hey, look, I'm ushering in a new age, and it's incompatible with the old age. The, the way of life instilled by Jesus' life, his words, his works, cannot coexist with the old ways of the Pharisees. That's what he's specifically addressing here. His new ways 
cannot coexist in the same way that the Pharisees approach them. They cannot exist the same way. Jesus' way of life isn't about following the rules of a religious system. Whether it's one that people have created, which the Pharisees did do, or even people following the law, void of a relationship with God. He's saying, look, that way of approaching faith, of approaching God, isn't compatible with I'm ushering in. The new thing that God is doing through Jesus cannot simply be tacked on or poured into an existing structure. It's really clear. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus, understand this. Jesus came with a radical gospel. Radical. I mean, it was good news to the poor, the oppressed, and the brokenhearted. That was prophesied. He speaks with authority. He rejects the externals, who he can eat with when he should fast and how he should fast, which people should and shouldn't come to worship. He rejects the externals and he wants to return hearts, the hearts of people anew to love for God, to love for one's neighbor. You know, we, we often sing an old hymn, Be Thou My Vision. And as I was preparing, that, that song ran through my mind this week. And there's a line in that song, it's in the third stanza, where we sing, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou my inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. First in my heart. Jesus is coming to usher in something where a relationship with the bridegroom, where Jesus is first, him and him only, first in our hearts. That's what he's coming to usher in. Primary, above rules and laws and regulations. And this calls for a radical transformation. The radical life of Jesus calls for radical transformation of your life and our worship. The new life Christ has for us cannot coexist with who we used to be. It's the message of this illustration. And so the first thing we see is this. We see that, that the old ways are, are incompatible with the new ways. But the second thing I would point out that we see here is this. It's to be careful not to make the lesser things of religion excessively important. Let me say that again. We must be careful not to make the things that are lesser of excessive importance in religion. You know, we worship, for instance, in the Anglican tradition here at Christ Church. You know, we don't major in the Anglican tradition. This is not a, a high Anglican church. That was never the way Christ Church was envisioned. I spent time talking with Pastor John Guest about this. I've talked to some of our founding members about this. Anglicanism informs our worship through the sacraments, through the creeds, through the liturgy, even with the robes that Barry and I are wearing this morning. And we don't plan to change that. We, we, we embrace that. There's great tradition in that, healthy tradition in that. But listen, it's not the most important thing to us here at Christ Church at Grove Farm. It's not. We don't want to fall into the trap of making our own roles, our own tradition, and treating them like they're God's rules. 
Because they're not. They are the traditions of men. They're the traditions of human beings. We want to be a church that is free from legalism, free from an over-excessive importance on external faith, our own homespun religious system. We want to be totally into the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that Jesus Christ died for our sins and he rose from the dead and that the Spirit was sent into the world. The real presence of God, the real presence of Jesus among us, we want a major in the gospel that's for all the people. This is who we're called to be. We want to be mindful not to make the lesser things of religion excessively important. You might think, well, this sounds like it's a dead issue. We don't really do that today, do we anymore? Well, this kind of thing rears its head over and over again. It's always a threat to the people of God. I mean, we see it all over Paul's epistles. Read the New Testament. And as you read the New Testament, one of the themes you're going to see over and over again is that, that, that Paul is at conflict with Jewish Christians. Jewish Christians who at that time were insisting that Gentile Christians had to be circumcised, that they had to follow the law of Moses. And Paul says, no. He said, that's not what's required of those that follow Christ. We're not going to sew a, a, a patch of new cloth on an old garment. We're not going to pour new wine into an old wineskin. He says, no, we're not going to do that. Legalism, external faith, are problems of every generation. It's always a threat to us in the church. You know why? We fall back into what's familiar, what's comfortable. A life governed by a preoccupation with external faith, obeying the rules. Let me be clear on something here. I know I'm looking, I see some younger people out here. I want you to understand this. Listen, being a follower of Christ is not about you being a good person. Following Jesus Christ does not happen by following rules. No, it begins with a relationship with Jesus. This is good news, by the way, because you can't follow the rules. You can't make, whether they're made up by you or you're trying to follow the, the law of God in the Old Testament perfectly, you will fail. The good news is this, is that Jesus Christ has come and invited us into a relationship that he pays for our sins and gives us new life through him. But we want to fall back into what's comfortable and what's familiar, a life governed by the external faith, a tendency to make our own roles and treat them, and treat them like they were God's roles. No. Rather, we should be launching out into a life guided by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to get to that in a moment. We should be launched out into a life guided by the Holy Spirit. The gospel must not, listen, the gospel must not be hindered by the rules of people, by human-made rules. No. So here's the question for you. Think about this. What structures of these times and this culture have seeped into your thinking, our thinking, that cannot coexist with the new wine that Jesus wants to pour out through his Spirit? What is it in your own life? What is it in your own life? You know, I think about myself. I was thinking, okay, materialism, that's part of our culture. A culture of comfort. 
These things incompatible with the new ways of Jesus Christ. What is it in your work, your community, your school, your environment? What ways are incompatible with the gospel of Jesus? I would call you to do this. Be uncompromising. Uncompromising about faith and the work of the Spirit in our lives. I really wrestled with with how to end this particular message because I don't want to give you a list of three helpful steps. That would seem to be incompatible with this message, right? That doesn't work. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to close by reading two passages to you. Because I think these passages are certainly complementary passages and speak to what Jesus is addressing in us. I'm going to trust that God will bring the conviction. That God will show us where we go from here and how we wrestle with this great selection from the life of Jesus. Here we go. This is from Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read the first four verses, okay? Listen to this. Consider all of what we've talked about already and now hear it through the lens of this passage. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Do you hear that? Set free from the rules, the regulation, the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, in other words, we couldn't do it, we couldn't accomplish the law, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. This is the new wine, my friends. This is the new wine. So that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We are called to live a life according to the Spirit. You know, it's interesting Um, Often in the scriptures, the spirit is characterized as wine. Jesus is talking about wine being poured into new wineskins, not old wineskins. Well, the spirit is often characterized as wine. Jesus here is pointing us to a life by the spirit. Well, what does that look like? That took me to, of course, the book of Galatians. And in the book of Galatians chapter 5, We read about life by the Spirit. Let me read this in closing to you. So Paul says, he says, I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You won't try to live like an old wineskin. You won't try to, to take a patch of new cloth and put it on an old garment. No, if you live by the flesh, you will not gratify the desires. I'm sorry, if you live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, I warn you, 
as I did before. Those who live like this, those who, who live according to law and can't keep it, who break the law, will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm amplifying these verses somewhat. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Listen, this is the good news. May we be a people who are filled with the new wine of Jesus Christ, his salvation, his spirit. May we live as people free, really free, truly free from the bondage of sin that comes from the law. May we live fully as people of the gospel. My friends, this is the church we desire to be. We desire to be a people who are filled with the life of Jesus and share it with everyone.